Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writer's Panel. Thank you for listening, and thanks also for subscribing to my Substack newsletter over at benblacker.substack.com. Um, it's been great to see so many Writer's Panel listeners pop up over there, which the newsletter is an extension of the podcast. You know, we talk about writing and the business and process of writing, dig in on some real technical things, uh, dig in on some real businessy things. It's been a pretty great year of doing that newsletter, and I will continue to do it, including the monthly Q&As via Zoom that are live for you paid subscribers to come and ask questions of professional writers. This weekend, we've got Ben Edlund, creator of The Tick. That is all of the TV shows and the cartoon and the comic book. Uh, they all sprung from Ben's mind. Um, and Ben is just an incredible writer and a terrific person, a really good guy um, that I think you can learn a lot from. I know I certainly have uh, in our, our working together occasionally over the years. So uh, Ben will be joining us this coming Saturday, uh, November 18th, for a live Q&A in which you will ask the Qs and he will provide the As. The only way to attend via Zoom is uh, to become a paid subscriber over at benblacker.substack.com. Uh, we've got more of these cool Q&As coming up uh, in December and January. I've already booked those, and I'm excited to get to them. Um, but hopefully we'll see you on Saturday for the Q&A with Ben Edland, creator of The Tick, writer for Supernatural, and all kinds of great stuff. Um, speaking of Supernatural, our guest today, Felicia Day, had a recurring role on that show in the past, uh, the last few seasons of it. You also know Felicia, of course, as the creator and star of the series The Guild, which was a web series that ran from 2007 to 2013. Um, she is the founder of the online media company Geek and Sundry. Uh, which hosts the show Critical Role uh, until 2019. People often know Geek and Sundry from that. It was a pretty big deal, especially at the time. Um, and you've also seen her, uh, of course, in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and as I mentioned, Supernatural, among many other shows as an actor. Her new project is Third Eye, which is an audio series available on Audible right now in its entirety. It's got an incredible cast. Uh, it's a great listen. It's about seven hours long. It, it plays out like a TV series, like a season of television. Uh, so it's it's a fun listen that you can invest in in that way. We'll talk about that. We talk about all kinds of things, including um, how she went about writing that series, her failures in Hollywood, what she considers her failures in Hollywood, uh, as well as keeping uh, her mental health and some, you know, some good good tips about what's important there. So uh, thank you again for listening. If you like the podcast and you want to support me and the show, please become a paid subscriber at benblacker.substack.com. And here is my conversation with Felicia Day. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Hi, Felicia. Congrats on your new endeavor. Um, tell the folks about Third Eye, and then we will talk about how it came to be and what it is and everything. Very exciting. Third Eye is an Audible original. It is 
um, I guess I could say it's TV for your ears. It's essentially a television show in audio, 10 episodes, seven hours total. And it's a comedy fantasy adventure series. It's about a chosen one who fails and what uh, her life is kind of like 15 years later until a girl comes in and just kind of busts it open and makes her kind of reevaluate her past and her very uncertain future now that things are very uncertain for her. So yeah, it's uh, the television series I always wanted to star in and I couldn't sell it. And I just kept at it because I really loved the idea. And I wanted to start it. So, and I made it happen, which is wild. <laughs> I know, right? It feels so good. And like these opportunities exist in audio now in a way that they didn't, you know, five, even fewer years ago. Um, was this a thing that you'd sort of been living with for a while? For sure. I mean, I created a show called The Guild and I did that for six years. And everybody was like, well, where's your TV show? And no one ever wanted to option the guild, which is so weird. I don't know why. Not even one person uh, ever approached me. And uh, I still own the rights to it, but I'm like, well, you know, I guess that's not for TV. I made it because nobody in TV thought it was worth being a television show. And same thing with Third Eye, huh? The guild was a TV show uh, just on the internet <laughs> with way less budget, I'm sure. Like, Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, was there a translation that you wanted to do over and and you again like you said you did it for six seasons like was there a, a version of that you wanted to do in another medium well i mean the sixth season when i finished the show was about codex uh, my main character that i play going to work for a video game company and her friends kind of infiltrating it so i that was the tv version that i wanted to do but then I sold my company, Geek and Sundry, to YouTube, and they were like, we really want another season of the Guild to get your fans over here. And I was like, okay, I guess we're making low budget again. And who knows if I, – I don't – I frankly don't think it would have ever sold to TV again because um, it was still really early and people didn't understand people play video games with each other and certainly not a woman character who's the lead. And, and yeah, I think there were a lot of complications. I don't know if my foray into television would have worked at all, but – Certainly let me see the uh, the show off in a way where I was like, okay, she's in the right place. Um, but after that, everyone was like, what's your TV show? What's your TV show? What's your... And I was like, well, there's here's my idea. And I, I ended up just writing the script because I really loved it. And I never think that anyone will see my vision for anything unless it's in paper. Unfortunately, even though I had it on paper, uh, I, I pitched it in, I think, 2016 or something, and people did not buy it. In fact, they were like, well, you shouldn't have written the script. Well, I was like, everybody would have said that. People are just, they'll tell you whatever it is that you didn't do in retrospect because they always know better than you. Well, thank you, you don't. <laughs> um, but these things have a way of coming back. Uh, I've found that too with our stuff. Um, and so what? how did it become audio? And like, was there a point at which you were like, this is never going to be made? Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, Let's see. I did a lot of Hollywood development, and I, I just want to say um, I admire you a lot for sticking with it because I think right around the time I left my company and I had my baby and, like, the the world was already very complicated for me, I was like, why am I doing this? I <laughs> I was developing a lot. I was pitching. I was making these 20-page, like, PowerPoint presentations for IP. I adapted Red Sonia um, for – Bob Weinstein and Brian Singer. And that was the last straw because that was the last straw, be frankly, because they didn't pay me. 
But then I created all original material for it, but I couldn't use it for anything else because my lawyer was like, well, they have a certificate of ownership because it's IP that you have to sign in order to do the job. And then the company went bankrupt. So they didn't pay me, but, and yet they could still own my stuff. And I was like, screw this. I am never doing this again. Okay. I came up with this great story. They get paid. They still own my idea. Like it's the most indignity. It was like the light world was telling me, Felicia, you are on the wrong track. You were just, you, you know, you're an actor and a performer. You write for yourself, but like making it a business is not for me. So I was already just like, I want to write, but I don't want to do this process because invariably it just, it wouldn't be the thing I wanted to write. And that's the way I want to write. It's just, a, I just, so I, I admire any professional writer who's able to navigate their artistry, but also the business of it and the collaboration, quote unquote, in that you're, <laughs> you're really doing what people tell you to do and just still making something awesome. My God, you know, if you can make it through their kudos. So anyway, I had this idea and Audible, uh, somehow I got introduced to Audible by my agency. And then I was like, hey, there's this idea. And I even have a script. And it was, you know, a new executive had just come on board and he loved it. And he was like, let's do it. So by the time the contract got finished, I was about to jump in and hire other writers to do like a room and just write it really fast. I mean, it was supposed to be a minimum of like six or seven hours of content. So I was like, this is a lot. And I don't think I could do it because I'm doing a lot of other things at the same time. But um, so I was going to hire like other people to write it for me. And then COVID hit and I was alone and the world was crazy. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do in my house? I'm going to write this project. So that's, uh, that's how it happened. Having been through sort of the ringer and trying to get this off the ground for television and then suddenly <laughs> being home alone and writing, you know, these seven and a half, eight hours of, of scripts. What was the timeline that was talked about? What was it in reality? So I think, you know, I don't know if there was a timeline. I mean, the, the goal was to like get it written by the end of the year, quote unquote, and then get into production. So, you know, it was a long I mean, again, where the, the scripts were like 45 pages long. There's like a CW hour, you know, where I guess the CW hour doesn't exist anymore. God bless it. It was my, it's been my bread and butter as an actor my whole life. And I'm so sad because that, that tone, I love it. But anyway, yeah. So I essentially wrote like hour long, you know, scripts in, in a way. Um, and it was, you know, yeah, it realistically six months or six or seven months would have been tight, but I was going to do it. But then again, sometimes six months would go by and I wouldn't hear because it was COVID and we were all just kind of floundering. And then there was a regime change and all that stuff as you, as you do. But again, I just am thankful that we kept on track. And every time a new person, you know, every time I got feedback, um, I was really lucky to have executives who I think that both of them were former writers. And so they gave great feedback and I was definitely blessed because boy, oh boy, it's, there's nothing worse than getting feedback. You're like, oh God, I got to do this. Oh no. Uh, I hate it. Again, writers are amazing. <laughs> um, it's good to hear though, that like, it, and it sounds like the project you ended up with is the one that you started with, the thing that you really wanted to make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, part of it is like, I had loose ideas, uh, but I certainly didn't know what I would write for a whole season. Of I mean, who does? I mean, I guess you you could kind of like sketch it out, but certainly it changed quite a bit, like, you know, twists and turns and like trying to 
make the cliffhangers work and making sure that the tone was sustained, but also there was depth to the characters because, you know, you could be funny, but if you're listening to seven hours in, in a row, you, you kind of have to have more story and tension than you would at like doing a half hour comedy. And if you're going to listen to all of it in a row and binge it, like essentially people kind of think this is an audiobook. I think of it as a TV show, but you could think of it as a performed audiobook. It's kind of the, the same kind of length. So yeah, it's 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 unusual format in that way, and certainly requires a lot of stamina for the marathon. It is getting through it. What did you know going in as far as the story, and then how did you like? How did you start to break story on your own? Yeah, there was two. Um, the first two episodes were kind of written, but I expanded them a lot and building out the, the side characters and some of the conflict, and then I kind of went through and. Um, I just kind of had the idea, oh, we should probably find out about this. And we should probably, you know, I always wanted to end in a um, in a big battle. And, of course, it's kind of a redemption arc, no spoilers. but And I, I love uh, this book called, I think it's John York, Into the Woods. Um, it's, a, it's a writing book that John Rogers, um, who did Leverage and a bunch, t- tons of other TV, he recommended this writing book to me, and writing books had never clicked with me, certainly not screenwriting. I had never been helped by it. I'd always been hindered because I'm not really a great outliner. I have to I, – I, I get intimidated or I get a little bit anxious when I don't know everything and I can't just outline it. And I had to kind of teach myself a process of like working in a way, and that book really, really helped me, and it really promotes the five-act structure – and so, you know, I originally was going to do 12 episodes, but, you know, and kind of just breaking it down, looking at sort of the the structure that is in this book really, really helped me. And of course, five acts and 10 episodes is kind of perfect, right? So I was able to act, do like two episodes for each act. And then I just kind of, you know, kind of like the Guild every season, it, the Guild was a movie every season, but it was like, well, who haven't I not, who have I not paired up? this season, you know, and I would be like, oh, what's a good blade, Blades and Fork story arc or whatever. And it wouldn't be like the whole season, but they're, you know, for me, characters and getting them together and seeing what would be fun to do with them is where I come up with story mostly. And so there are some twists and turns with, with the characters, um, but it really just starts with brainstorming like, oh, this would be fun. And, you know, this character would, I don't want to give a, a ton of spoilers, but there's like, a, you know, there's some characters who are not in there in the beginning, but I wanted to set them up because I was like, oh, it'd be fun to see them and then backfilling how you get there. So uh, it's kind of like more brainstorming than anything. And when I get enough, I can build a scaffolding uh, versus like working linearly does not work for me. And it's always made me feel like a failure as a writer. Uh, But when I finally just accepted, hey, you're not efficient. (laughs) You're not going to be able to write this quickly. You don't work well under pressure well, but you really get into it when you are trusting your own process. Well, that was a lot more fun. And I could do that because I literally had years. <laughs> well, sure. But that's, I mean, that's kind of great. And, and and I don't think it's unusual. You know, I mean, I think this is, everybody finds the process that works for them. And I don't know anyone who can like sit down and write an outline from beginning to end. That seems impossible to me. I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of them. There seems like there are a lot of efficient writers out there who have been trained to be, you know, and a, and a lot of it is like, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's like, oh, we could do this scene. Like it was in, 
you know, Firefly or whatever. Like, I am not that person. Uh, I know a lot of writers who are like, oh, yeah, we do this. And they have references from other media. I literally don't think like that. I'm just like, oh, what would be fun for me? And, you know, I, I admire that because it's a shorthand that you can use when you're breaking story or whatever that I just, my brain doesn't think like that. So uh, at the end of the day, it's really about just I want where I want to see the characters, what would be a fun conflict. Um, and also uh, a lot of character work as far as like what my main character's problem was, um, digging into, you know, like her psychology and what her biggest fears were and what would challenge her the most and kind of putting her in these situations that really um, butted up against that and made her grow, like forced her to grow. And so I guess maybe as an act, like an actor, I just start from character and then build the other characters as kind of reflections of her. Um, you know, like there is a parody aspect in that I'm talking about a chosen one that's sort of this archetype and trope. And then we have a vampire and a fairy, but I, I, I kind of, in building those characters, I took the trope of like what it would be to reverse them and then tried to make them real people. And uh, it made me really fall in love with them and want me to bring them to a place that they hadn't been in the beginning that they would grow to. That's great. That That is the best feeling too, that, that feeling of discovery. Um, and it also seems like this approach, which is very character forward and is very like, in many ways, yes, it comes from an acting perspective. Um, makes a lot of sense for the medium too, right? Like you tell me about some of these strictures of writing audio and what you discovered along the way. Yeah. Ready for audio was very different. I, for one, did not have a narrator character in the piece when of course it was a television show, right? It was all like voiceover with the main character. Um, but you can't do that in audio. In fact, there's a lot you can't do in audio. And especially when you have a fantasy show, where there's a lot of visual elements and you're painting. I mean, the whole goal of it was to sort of find the fantastical in real life, right? And have this sort of mundane, uh, depressing world where you're seeing supernatural creatures who are mundane and depressing, right? And so there's a lot of visual in it um, that I had to sort of translate into an audio medium. And you're right, like, it, it requires a lot of thought and a lot more exposition than you think is, it feels a little clunky. But at the end of the day, if you get somebody confused about who's talking, where they are, what's going on, especially and not being able to paint uh, action in a way that feels very uh, visual to, to somebody, well, you're, you're kind of failing. And then if they're confused, they're just going to stop. And that's the biggest compliment. A lot of fans are like, I could see every, uh, scene. And I think that we worked really hard in the writing, but also in the performance to to make it so that you could literally visualize every scene. Well, tell me about finding the voice of that narrator. So I never do anything straight. I have to do things that are quirky. I have, <laughs> And I think for me, like people, you know, the tone was the easiest part because like my director, Jonah Ray said, when he read it, he's like, that's the most Felicia Day thing I've ever read. And I was like, oh yeah, it is. And I know that my style is not very universal and it's not particularly Hollywood syllable. It just isn't. I Believe me, I've tried. Uh, but, but it's just a little too soft, a little too uh, – it's like it's, – it's fun comedy, a little immature, but a lot of heart. And it just – you know, it never really clicked when I try to sell shows. Um, but at the end of the day, that's who I am and that's what I want to write and that's what makes me happy. And so I think for, for, you know, melding fantasy and comedy and adventure and action all together, like that's my, 
that's just who I am. And so that tone was something I just wanted to realize of people, you know, tossing quips to each other, but at the end of the day, we're not undermining anything. And I guess the process in the end with the most was that I was taking out jokes a lot because I didn't, when I was listening to things, I probably was, you know, I was pruning to make sure that when we had an emotional moment that the audience wasn't outside the characters, they were really with the characters. And that was actually the biggest process in writing um, to balance out the comedy and the action, the heart. It makes so much sense, right? I mean, like you're, you're coming into it from a fun part out, (laughs) right? Like, how do I want to see these characters bounce off of each other? What's the fun of like the relationship, the dialogue, the arc, but then, yeah, you have to take a step back and sort of dig into the emotions. Um, I want to ask before we go too far, get too far from it, just on a practical level, what did that like brainstorming part look like for you? Do you work on the computer and notepads on a board? Yeah, it was um, it was a a whiteboard, you know, and kind of like again using the structure of that book really helped me because I kind of was like, oh, wow, here's where the character needs to go in and change. And it was, it's very like accordion-like um, in uh, kind of addressing the structure uh, because the beginning and the end of the piece are kind of reverse of each other. And so everything kind of centers around the midpoint in the middle of the uh, third act. And so I'm sure you as a writer are familiar with this, but when I read the book, I was like, oh, this clicks in my brain in a way that I'm like, because it is very character-based, right? Because um, I am the worst at coming up with story. I'll just tell you, like, that's not my, I, I want everything to be nice. And, and conflict is not, yeah, it's not good writing, believe me. Um, so that's kind of where I started. And I I, I would, I, I kind of had ideas about where I want the characters to go and interesting settings and characters, uh, you know, I had an episode where I was like, well, we need to see the underworld of the super, we need to build the world. So we need to see where the rich people live and where the poor people live. What would be a good way to get them in here? And kind of just thinking about like, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just blocking it out on a whiteboard and kind of being like, they go to the underworld or what. And it, and I would actually build to cliffhangers. I always did that with the guild too, because we had 12 mini episodes, but these were long episodes. But at the end of the day, I wanted people to want to turn the page or keep listening. So I, um, when I had the setting and kind of like what a broad stroke of what's going on, like they go to the library, or these two people go to the library and these, um, I would build the cliffhanger and then start filling in um, the arcs of the characters. So yeah, I mean, it's mess. I can't say that I was super uh, deliberate about everything, but certainly for me, it's all about where the characters were, right? And so doing the big character arcs was the most important thing at first, and then trying to insert those into a 10-episode structure with some cliffhangers and getting people to, and then building to those points of like, well, where are we going to take them to get them in a place where, oh, oh my gosh, and we can really shift gear in the next episode. I think that was kind of the fundamental of the scaffolding that I built. That And that totally like not only does that make sense, but like that is very familiar to me. Like yeah, okay, it doesn't, good. <laughs> yeah, it does. It doesn't feel like a crazy situation where like you're putting in the big bits, you're putting in the blocks that you know that you want, you're putting in the character arc, and then you sort of start filling in the details, right? Yeah, I think the hardest thing was when I started digging into the magic system and just making sure that what I had intended for characters would work. And like the relationship between Laurel and this young girl, Kate is like the heart of the show, but 
Kate has a secret, you know, she's a, a girl who has a secret. And part of the whole story is unraveling what the secret about Kate is. And so that was that was kind of the hardest thing to nail because trying to build a fantasy world to rationalize what is going on with this character and if it actually makes sense what I'm proposing. And like I had, you know, I kind of like would pitch it to a couple of people who are really close to me and like, this doesn't make sense. They're like, well, wait, what about this? If this is true in your world, then what about this? I'm like, oh no, that's a glaring hole. So it actually was super complicated. That was probably the hardest thing to work out was the the steps of the mystery and making sure it was consistent with a magic world that I could build that especially fans wouldn't pick apart. Right. And so it all kind of revolves around, um, you know, something about souls and I don't want to, you know, magic and how the magic works and nobody has magic, but who can have magic and how do you get your magic back? And that's really the hardest part, that kind of world building. And that, that, um, that took a while to figure it out. How do you keep yourself from getting wrapped up in that aspect of it? As I've seen a lot of, you know, new and longtime writers do. Well, you know, I tried to develop this as a television show several times. Um, uh, my friend Amy Berg and I, you know, once sat down to try to like uh, hammer out some stuff. And some of the questions she asked, we never got to really work on it. But like some of the things in the list she was like asking these questions about the world, I kind of, you know, used those as like, oh, remember five years ago when you tried to do this TV show? Uh, remember that list? And I was like, oh, these are really good questions to ask. And, you know, some of it I worked out when I was pitching as a television show a little bit. So it was a very long process and it sort of ruminated, uh, machinated in my brain, you know, like, oh, uh, but at the end of the day, if you get too bogged down in it, I mean, I've, I have a project that I tried to write about tarot cards that I spent so long trying to figure out the magic of it that there's no characters there. And I was like, well, this isn't interesting. Like, yeah, these people have the powers, you know, of the tarot card suits. This is very cool. What is this about? And then I could never answer that question. I just got so excited about, like, building a magical world. So maybe one day I'll find a character. But, like, you know, for this project, the first idea I had for it was I want to I do a multi-cam about a girl who is going to kill herself, but she walks into a psychic shop and the psychic just leaves her there. So, like, that's a whole, totally different concept than what I ended up with, right? Um, so, you know, I think the, the, the blessing is that I didn't have to rush through it and I could take the time to really kind of figure out what feels right versus like desperately just trying to meet a deadline, which, yeah, that's the business. If you got to be able to balance them both and there's not going to come a time where I spend another five years on something. So I really better get my crap together. <laughs> Nonsense. Just have enough things that, uh, they that's pile true. up on each other, which you always juggle, juggle, do. Juggle. Like this oh, has yeah. been your life, right. For in, in this industry is just making stuff, being in stuff, creating stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm taking a step away from the writing part right now, but like, how do you juggle all of that? And how do you keep your sanity? You know, it was, uh, I really wasn't sane. I had a real anxiety disorder and I had a lot of mental health and physical health problems when I was literally running a company, tr writing things, producing it all, being the face of it, flying around the world on TV shows, uh, doing like the business stuff too. It was, I broke myself. And quite frankly, like there were years, three, four years I couldn't write because I was so burnt out. And yet that's what everybody wanted from me. And I got really thrust into this sort of like agencies and people just expecting me to be a showrunner. 
and me not being in such a place of like numbness and not being in touch with who I was and being able to protect myself that I just was like, okay, I'll do what you want, soup men. And I, you know, and I, I just, and their disappointment was so palpable when I wasn't like putting out what they thought that I was into. And it was just so crushing to me when in fact, you know, I didn't want that. I didn't want the responsibility of it. Like I didn't, and like, I love working, you know, and I will work 15. I love 18 hours a day on a set. Right. But like, I was the boss of everything on the guild. Like no one second guessed me. I had wonderful people who gave me notes and we worked collaboratively on it, but there's no boss in charge telling me what they wanted me to do and changing things. And that kind of pressure is not for me, right? Like I just want to make my stuff that's mine. It's like a little sculpture and I make it and I control every part of it and I give it to you. And then I love acting and hosting and doing that. And that's wonderful because I can work on somebody's set and do what I do in that way. But I don't think my writing is suited to being, um, you know, the process of Hollywood. And so I couldn't say no to it because that's what everyone expected of me. And they treat actors so grossly that um, all I wanted to do was be respected (laughs) by this, you know, the people in this business. And so there's a lot of psychology that I was able to get away from when I stepped away from my business. And I was like, I don't want to make a dozen low budget videos a day. You know, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not my dream. I don't want to be just producing other people's stuff. That's not my dream. I sold several animation projects, never got made. And it was so frustrating because these wonderful ideas I don't know. Maybe if I had been a, a savvier producer, not my not my personality. I'm not a not a schmoozer, not a sucker upper. I just can't do it. I don't like having lunch unless we're you know as friends. <laughs> so yeah, it's just not. So the wonderful thing is that I mean having having a kid, but also just COVID really cut me off from a lot of toxic things. And I realized I finally got in touch with oh I I enjoy my life and what am I doing? Well, I'm playing video games. I'm writing. I'm doing some acting when I can. And I'm creating a functional personal life and being there for my family and my kid. And I was like, oh, look at the things that are gone. Let's not add those back in. (laughs) Is there a place now for the kinds of projects that you want to create from you, the things you want to write? Um, You know, where does that live now? Audio is one for sure. Yeah. I mean, I just, um, in the process of doing a third eye, I actually, uh, I funded my own podcast of a a movie that I could never get made. And so I don't know if I'll have a distributor for that next year. I will, if not, I already made it. I produced it. It's wonderful. I'll release it on Bandcamp for $5. Like that's fine. Um, I can't do that all the time because it does cost a lot of, you know, it's a lot of front loading, but you know, for me, audio is, a great medium, but at the same time, a lot of the companies, anytime Hollywood moves in, they're just looking for IP to get bigger. And so the parameters they're looking for as far as entertainment, they're literally judging with the TV executives' eyes. And so, you know, I have, I tried to pitch a couple of other audio things in the last couple of years. You know, there's a project that I literally have sold three times and every single time the digital startup would go bankrupt and like, I would get it back. And, you know, we pitched as a TV shares and it almost got closed for a couple of times. So, you know, and I pitched that and they, they were like, yeah, no, uh, we don't think that the IP could be developed enough. And I'm like, oh, so you just want a television show. So like, that's the frustrating part. It's like people who only do comics to, you know, be able to pitch it. And I, I totally understand that because in this weird world, we can't 
get anything made that's not original. But at the end of the day, like, can we not just make something and 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 just make it because it deserves to be made? That's, I guess, my dream and very naive. And I need to just get real, Felicia. But anyway, so I'll keep making my stuff, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, look, it, it is a dream. I think it's a dream for many of us, especially those of us who have like, had these fits and starts and, and like made our own stuff, but often for very little money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do we go from here? Right. Like everyone just wants to make stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, yeah, like, I think it's a great question. And, you know, if I were I to go like, okay, I'm definitely still a, Holly, a Hollywood writer. I would always be making stuff on the side, you know, and it's really hard to do any video right now. Like making a low budget video thing is, unless you're making a movie, which I would love to make in my, you know, in my driveway one day, but it's just so expensive and it's, it's really tough to be able to do that. And I don't know if I want to pay people a hundred dollars anymore to be like, Hey, Felicia's doing another idea or you got, you know, so for me, like audio is wonderful because again, I made the movie. I made the movie and I started in it and they can't do anything to take it away from me. And I have uh, a graphic novel coming out in two years with Simon and Schuster and I've already got that on track and I have another one I'm working on. And yeah, I feel like as an artist and anybody who is in Hollywood is an artist, um, but we have to work within the business and you can't get mad at the business because the business is the, what the business is, right? If they don't want your idea you're not satisfying what their business needs. So you can't get mad, you, but you can't let go of those ideas, especially if they stick with you. And whether it's a comic book or an audio project or whatever it is, uh, there are so many venues and so many ways to tell stories now. And yeah, maybe who knows, maybe it's so successful that you can use it as a jumping off point to get to a bigger format and bigger budget and things like that. Or maybe it just lives on its own and it just fuels you as a person because you know that you are great at what you do. Just just doing the thing is worth so much, honestly. 100%. Yeah. On on third eye, what what you know, walking away from this, what are you going to look back on as like the thing that surprised you about it in the most delightful way? <laughs> what were you pleasantly surprised by? What are you like surprised to be proud of in it? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, what surprised me is that I got through it and I had such anxiety around writing before and I just, and not that it's completely cured, but like I found pleasure in writing and that I was able to take the, again, I think it was a time thing. And, you know, I, if you think about, it, I started making web video in 2007, right? And so I have been just running, sprinting, making, I mean, literal thousands of videos and some of them like very significant budgets, some of them zero budgets, everything in between, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of videos. And it really was, I got thrust into a situation where my first script I ever wrote happened to be a huge success. You know, we filled Comic-Con rooms that TV shows couldn't fill with the Guild. And we were an international, like a phenomenon and we always shot my house. So it was a weird place to be. And having that success and not really being prepared for it or have the skills to navigate Hollywood or that level of scrutiny was, was the learning curve. And I needed time to actually catch up to myself. And it was the necessary thing was for the world to be completely cut off because I never would have done it myself. Um, so the surprising thing was that I could find pleasure and in, in writing and that I could um, uh, putting myself first 
really was the best thing for my writing and my art and making things, um, which feels very selfish. But at the end of the day, if you're not healthy, then your artistic process is not going to be healthy, right? I, I think that is a great thing to leave folks with. Um, oh, thanks. Third Eye uh, is available right now out on Audible. You can get the whole thing. Um, and we should say, like, we didn't mention uh, that um, that narrator is played by Neil Gaiman. You've got an incredible cast on this thing. In addition to yourself, do you want to plug some of them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean Astin, um, Will Eaton, Lily Pichu, London Cues. We have uh, Alan Tudyk. Oh my gosh. I called in all the favors. Weird Owl is like a, a sprite that gets his hand burned off. Like we have so many Harvey Guillen, Christian Nairn from, I mean, just like so many wonderful actors who did me a favor and it was not worth the cameo to do all the paperwork they had to do. And I just feel so guilty. I owe so many people sushi dinners for doing me a favor. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's just wonderful. The cast was delightful. Um, pe- people respond to cool, fun stuff, you know, like you, it always feels like you're asking such a big favor, but also like they want to do it because it is a cool project and they like you. Yes. We all love to play. Yeah. You ask me to do things all the time. I'm like, let's play. Let's just do it. Like, cause I think at the end of the day, we didn't get into this for the business of it, right? We get into the, for the art and the play of it. And yeah, we, we can grab that. We can grab it. Just grab it whenever you can, because it's it's few and far between sometimes. Absolutely. We will wrap up, as we always do, by asking you what you're watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Uh, what are you talking about with your family and friends? Well, I have to say that my daughter goes to sleep at 9.30 as a six-year-old. It's torture. I don't know what to do. So my <laughs> my TV watching is slim lately. I'm really, I just need to sit down and watch British Baking Show. But, you know, she actually got me into this show called Horrible Histories, and um, it's a sketch show from Britain that ran for many years about – it's a historical kind of Monty Python for history for kids, and it has all these fun facts about history, but also it's just hilarious sketch comedy. And at at the end of the day, these – the people who made Hardcore History or or Horrible Histories went to create ghosts – so I tried to get their autograph when I was at MCM London, and I couldn't because they were signing their ghost book. I was like, ghost? I just want their picture because my kid would love the horrible history people. So, I mean, it's it's really cool. I love weird British humor. And uh, a couple of people did say that, oh, the writing on Third Eye reminded them of, like, Terry Pratchett or, you know, Douglas Adams. And I was, like, so um, – I was so honored by that because it is the kind of humor that I really love. So, Yeah. So that's what I'm watching. I'm sorry. I'm not cool. I really want to watch The Bear. I want to catch up with Shadow and Bone. I need to watch Wheel of Time season two. Uh, I Listen, I, it's all there, but I'll get there one day when my kid can just go the F to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, in the meantime, like these are good. These are good recommendations. Yeah. Great horrible History is very fun. It's horrible history. If you have a kid, it's only on freebie. You can only watch it on freebie with commercials through Amazon Prime uh, because it's just you can't get the DVDs. They're all region two or something like that. So anyway, hilarious. good luck. (laughs) Uh, Felicia, thank you so much for chatting. Thanks, Ben.